Welcome to Bad Patient. Malpractice makes perfect. I'm Robin Donovan. And I'm Lara Beers. And we are two non-medical, non-experts sifting through this week's health news. And this week's words are alcohol, chocolate, old medicines, and anxiety. Woohoo! For some reason, I'm always tempted to see how the words go together. And I'm pairing up chocolate and anxiety this week. Okay, that makes sense. How are you feeling today? I'm psyched because it's 80 degrees and sunny in Portland and it's the end of April. So it feels like we've been given a new lease on life and we're getting something we're not usually supposed to get. So I'm excited about everything right now. Good. How are you doing? Um, I'm okay. Are you ready for this week's uh, first article? Yes, I am. It is comes from Forbes and it's how drinking alcohol may affect the bacteria in your mouth. So this is... Spoilers. A- I'm way ahead of you on this one. Yeah? Sure, yep. did you read it? No, I didn't read this one, but I have... Um, I looked at a study a few weeks ago about mouthwash and the, like, the microbiome in your mouth because I had a bunch of friends, seriously, three friends in a month who got gum grafts, which is this terrifying procedure where... All right. If you're squeamish, just cut down the volume for 30 seconds but they either use cadaver tissue or they or they remove a section of the roof of your mouth and graft it usually onto like the gums below your bottom teeth and so as part of this you know there's some some of the reason that your gum tissue could be being destroyed at a, a rapid rate can have to do with the microbiome in your mouth. And one of the things that can alter that is like heavy duty mouthwashes because they contain alcohol and sometimes like antibacterial substances. And so like wiping out all the bacteria, which we thought was good for protecting your teeth, could actually be harmful to your gums in the same way or in a similar way that antibiotics are harmful to your gut and they wipe out all the bacteria, good and bad. So, I'm excited for this story. Okay. So, this this is looking at um, the um, a new study that was just published in the microbiome. Uh, looks at the way that people drink alcohol and how that affects the bacteria in their mouth. Looking at non-drinkers, moderate drinkers social drinkers and um, non-moderate and heavy. Why did you say social drinkers like that? Do you do you not believe that they exist? No, uh, I, th- I was trying to determine whether or not there were non-drinkers like if moderate drinkers was considered social drinkers or if it was like a separate thing. Uh, okay. Um, and they also broke it up with liquor, uh, beer, or wine with a okay. comparison. So it had over a thousand people and they reviewed their spit and um, saliva, darling. Saliva. Spit. And and they looked at the bacteria. And so they don't know if it's a causation, but 
uh, they were able to show that there was an association uh, with the way that you drink when drinking can affect it. But it also mm. might be connected to the things that you um, that you eat um, yep. or medicine that you might be taking or mm-hmm. if you smoke things like that so yeah or honestly whoever your your parent is like we know that when babies are born like vaginally through vaginal deliveries that they're exposed to more bacteria and so that can like that's like the one of the first ways that i think i think one of the first ways that our bodies are populated with bacteria um i'm not sure c-section you know you obviously still there's bacteria happening but i think i think maybe not quite as much is my is my theory that's a good theory. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I thought this was interesting. Basically, they're saying more research is required. <laughs> As they always do. Um, but they're showing that there might be something there. So mm-hmm. it may or may not be another reason to drink or not drink. Um, yeah. I know. Basically, that's like- it's saying not to drink because it eliminates the good and... Um, keeps the bad, so it appears that the bad bacteria um, is um, more alcohol tolerant, mm-hmm. which might be a reflection of the um, <laughs> mouthwash, you know? Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, you know, I like that they mentioned some um, potentially mitigating factors in this, like they talk about the people who are drinking more alcohol may be more likely to smoke, may be more likely to take medications um, or have certain sexual... They said certain sexual practices. I do not think that the phrase oral sex would really have, like, shocked the readers of Forbes. Um, Especially because this guy, the author... I shouldn't say this guy. Who is the author? I don't know. Bruce Lee! That's not a joke. It's really his name. Good job, Bruce Lee. And and the author mentions that he has written another article for Forbes about, uh, he calls it super gonorrhea, which is um, really drug, some drug-resistant gonorrhea. And we had initially thought that you could not get that from oral sex, but now we know that you can. Or no, no, I think that's not how it is. What's the story? Well, I think that we're we're finding that, like, like like the Michael Douglas effect, right? That men can get um, different types of oral and throat cancers from HPV, which can be acquired through, you know, different oral sex acts. Um, so I think I like that he mentions all these other things. Like he doesn't just say it's not full on causation. He says it could be these other factors. And because antibiotic resistance is like one of my drums that I like to beat, I like that he mentioned he mentioned this because I think it's just is bringing it into people's minds. Mm-hmm. Um, and the freaky thing about the the whole like mouth cancer thing is they don't have a way to test. Uh, what's the story? Do you know how this goes? They don't have a way to test for it, or oh, I I have no idea, Robin. You know, like as I, I take my non medical, non expert uh, uh, <laughs> statement very seriously, so I know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so I, I guess we really are calling it super gonorrhea. I will tell you that this podcast has been the source of some strange ads on my laptop and some even stranger searches that I, you know, I just would like the NSA to know that I'm doing this for the public good 
and 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 it's not a reflection on my my personal health or practices that I just googled <laughs> super gonorrhea. Um, what? I don't know. Oh, I think I think the deal part of it is that men cannot be tested for HPV or something like that. Mm-hmm. But yet they spread it. Yeah. And that and that you can get it through oral sex. So then, you know, that raises like a lot of questions. Yeah. Also, I would just like to point out that there is a certain like um we've made more more medications for men than women to my knowledge for enhancing sexual function like Viagra mm-hmm. and more medications for women than men for sexually transmitted diseases, which I think speaks to some of the implicit bias, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. men need to be able to have sex. Women need to be able to clean up from the after effects of sex, or I shouldn't say clean up, but you know what I mean? Like women are, I don't know. How would you phrase this? Uh, you know, men should be able to have sex and women need to be, uh, responsible, healthy and responsible. Yeah. And they're, they're like, you know, we need to be careful. Like, like we assume that women are more dangerous almost. So, um, (sighs) yeah, it also like reminds me of like the HPV vaccine and, you know, when we were younger, I don't know if you got in the window for getting it, but, like, we're too old to get it now or something. I don't know. I I keep hoping they're going to make it available for everyone. But now they're recommending it for little boys as well as little girls, so that's good. I shouldn't say little. I think they recommend it at, like, 11 or 12. Yeah. But they're recommending it for kids, kids of any gender, so that's good. I I feel like I may have taken a tangent to a tangent here. That's okay. Uh, I got two of the three shots uh, for HPV, and then my <laughs> then my dad figured out it was for a sex thing and decided that I didn't need it. Oh, yep. I'm sorry. I'm yeah. sorry to hear that. Yep. <laughs> so. You might. You might. I. Uh, I don't know if you could still get the third one. I mean, certainly they could give you the third one. I don't know if it would still work at this point. Yeah. Well, you would have gotten some protection from it, though. Yeah. I think some is so, yeah. better than none. All right. So <sighs> the next uh, article comes from Bustle, and it's dark chocolate reduces stress in humans, according to new- a new study. No Ba-ba-ba! kidding. So uh, it's talking about how uh, there are two recent studies showing that dark chocolate can reduce and improve your memory, and notably, this research did not find any. Re- Results that correlated with the sugar content of the chocolate, but rather the actual chocolate of it. So, uh, the chocolate needs to be, yeah, the chocolate needs to be 70%, uh, 50% or higher, closer to 70. So we're talking dark chocolate people. Um, Mm -hmm. and that, that this doesn't appear to be a study that was, uh, by the chocolate, um, Hershey Industry. did not fund this study. Right. Well, that, I mean, they they have in the past. So that's why we have so many um, studies about showing the positive effects of chocolate is because the industry has 
um, funded it. Interesting. <laughs> yep. So uh, the health there in this article, they're not saying that it's healthy for you, but that it um, it could be have positive effects as well as the you know the fact that it's candy effect. <laughs> the fact that it makes you happy just because it's awesome effect. Yeah, and that's basically um, how it how it ends. Um, that um, it has to be uh, close to seventy percent and low in concentrated of sugars to get the best uh, benefits. Yeah, because sugar would cause inflammation, right? So. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so but it says, but hey, you know what? It's a okay if you don't even care about the potential health benefits of chocolate. If you just like to eat chocolate because it's a tasty treat, go forth. Do you live that chocolate life? So. I feel like your doctor might disagree, but okay. Um, so I clicked through to the study, which I'm confused by. Like I. I clicked through to a summary of the study, which is from Loma Linda University and came out April 24th. Uh, I can't find the original. It would take me more time. But basically, the specific benefits they found were reducing stress, reducing inflammation, and improving memory, interestingly, immunity, and mood. So... Okay. That's a lot of things. Organic chocolate. Yeah. Oh, okay. So they're presenting the results in like poster sessions at upcoming conferences. So maybe they haven't even published this yet. That could be, that could sometimes be what happens. I think they're just trying to get some buzz. Yeah, because, like, they're they're citing Science Daily, which is, like, a news site, but I don't think publishes, like, it's not like Nature, it's not like a journal, I I don't think. So I think they're saying they've found some stuff, they're about to present it, and they're probably going to publish it later. So um, if I'm right, good for them for getting it out the door right away. Okay, so the other thing, though, is that this is a pilot. The two studies, one of them is a pilot study, so mm-hmm. it's like a study you do to see if you should do a study. Mm-hmm. So chances are, like, this has been overstated in the news piece. Probably. Um, yeah, blah, blah, further research. So further research is in progress, but, I, you know, honestly, I don't know how seriously I would take this because we we can't seemingly access the original study. I don't even know if it's been published. And, like, publication although you could argue that like like Albert Einstein wouldn't have been publishable cuz cuz if you make him go in front of a jury of his peers they're not going to recognize his genius but still for the majority of science being published in a peer reviewed journal is a sign of legitimacy so i'd like to i'd like to understand if this has been published or not or what the you know cuz it's like we're not seeing the data and it hasn't been published meaning the whole thing could be like big question mark um, that being said, on a more fun side note, have you, do you guys ever go to Trader Joe's? Yeah, sometimes. Have you ever had their 100% cacao dark chocolate? No. So I would not recommend it. 
I bought this, you know, like on a lark to take to some, like I was having dinner with a couple friends and just wanted to take something and it's, it's almost inedible. I mean, you kind of have to tell yourself that you're not eating chocolate. Like you have to prepare to be eating something different because it's so intense and so bitter. There's no sugar in it at all, of course. And so I think, I think it's in this black wrapper and like, I think they almost just make it as like a novelty. Cause I remember the cashier asking me if I liked it and I was like, I've never had it, you know, (laughs) I'm just buying this to see if I can handle it. So yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if I would recommend anyone buy it except that then you could have the experience of like loving it or hating it or just, knowing what it's like. Yes. It's, it made me really hungry for chocolate is what I most remember. <laughs> it did not meet your you need a, for chocolate? No. No. It did not. Because really, if you think about it, I guess part of the need for chocolate is a desire for sugar that we we mentally link the two. Yeah, that's true. That makes sense. All right, you ready for our next article? I'm ready for some chocolate. (laughs) So this one comes from Popular Science, and it's how to safely dispose of your old medicine. So so did you know that in the United States, the DEA is promoting today, uh, Saturday, April the 28th, as the National Prescription Drug Take Back Day? Oh, I did not know that. That's great. So lots of pharmacies and police stations will be, um, uh, have disposal boxes. And so it's a great time to clean out your medicine cabinet. Mm. And very good. So it's talking about what you need to do. So three quarters of all opioid abuses starts with misusing a prescription from someone else, a family member, friends, or yes, even a drug dealer. Um, and so a lot of times people have extra medicine left in their cabinet and mm-hmm. they'll give it to a friend or a family member who's in pain or whatever. And that's how it can lead to um, abuse. So that's what this is trying to look at. So um, the first thing that it recommends is that you scratch out your personal information on the bottle when you're throwing it out. <laughs> Because um, it's while it's rare, it's possible that somebody could try to get uh, additional prescriptions filled in your name <laughs> using your information. Um, and find the closest take-back collection site, um, which are sites that um, allowed you to turn in unused medicine. Uh, some pharmacies, uh, CVS is working to have 750 locations um, up by mid-June, which is pretty mm-hmm. good. Not great, considering that they have over 9,600 stores, but, you know, it's something. <laughs> um, they tell you, do not flush your pills down the toilet. It's in all caps. Mm-hmm. So it seems super important. Um, because when we pee, we're already putting drugs into the water yes. system to begin with, yes. so putting it in um, putting it in directly is 
is worse, not only because it can end up in our water supply, but also it ends up in the ocean, which could affect um, sea life as well. And then when we eat that sea life, it can affect us again. So it's a vicious, vicious cycle. Yeah. Um, and um, there is a case where um, it might be better to throw it to flush it. Um, the FDA has some drugs that are dangerous enough that if you can't get them collected, it's safer to flush them down than <laughs> anything else. According to the FDA. Because that's kind of like, I think we're getting into some opinion-y kind of, like, I well, I, I shouldn't say opinion. It's it like, I think some of this is like political, you know? Yeah. So, um, but there's a list uh, for it. Um. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and so if you just Google FDA medication disposal, or even if you Google what to do with leftover medication, you know, the FDA website, which is off of FDA.gov, will come up. It's called Safe Disposal of Medicines. Uh, yay. <laughs> okay, so the FDA is saying that they want you to flush certain medications, which could be harmful, would be especially harmful to children, pets, or others if taken accidentally. God, I would love to know what these are. Where is the list? Oh, there we go. Fentanyl, you know I... hydrocodone, meth- methadone, oxycodone, and morphine are so some. schedule two, schedule two medications, basically. Mm-hmm. I- I'm assuming they would say the same if I had some leftover schedule one medications lying around. <laughs> yeah. So they so, are. Yeah. Uh, they. I mean, it's a last resort. Um. Uh, and then the last case scenario is to destroy them and then chuck them. So if it's not flush worthy, what they recommend mm-hmm. is taking the pills, mixing it with dirt or cat litter or used coffee grounds without crushing uh, the tablets themselves and uh, put them in a plastic bag. That way no one would take them. Yeah. I mean, I... In some ways, it all seems a little short-sighted, right? Because you're going to take that plastic bag and put it in the trash. So it's almost like, why do you need the plastic bag? It's gonna The bag is going to rip eventually. And we're yeah, just but creating it's, more. I mean, instead of just tossing. Yeah. I think that that is the safest for other living beings, if not the planet. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because the drug take-back programs and disposal options have changed over the years it used to be that you could take medications to certain pharmacies and they would like incinerate them then i remember at a certain point taking some medications to a cvs actually and and being like super embarrassed when they were like no we don't we don't take them and being like oh now i have to like i'm just walking around with this bag of pills now um so i i think it's one of these kind of funny things that like, I'm sure there's a reason, but it's like CPR. It's like this year, they're like, no, this is the only way it can be done. And then the next year, it's like it has changed, but now that is irrefutably the only way that it should be done. So I'm always like, I look at these, and I totally am on board with wanting to keep everyone safe. It's just a little bit funny that it keeps changing. You know, th- there's only one safe way to do it, Laura. 
So don't do it wrong. But next year, that's going to change. So just check back with us at that point. Um, I think the whole medication in the water supply thing is fascinating because it, it sounds like a wives' tale, but it's not. Like, right. That we take so many pharmaceutical products that there really are drugs in our drinking water. Yeah. Oh, man. I've tried to Google really fast and find, but apparently it's hard to find reliable sources on that. So no matter what we do, the fact that <laughs> the fact that we're taking medications and then peeing them out and then sending the water to a wastewater treatment plant uh, means that you're going to consume some stuff you don't want no matter what. And, man, that kind of bugs me, but what can you do? What can you do? I don't know. All right, you ready for the last one? Yep. It comes from National Public Radio, and it's Anxiety Relief Without the High, New Studies on CBD, a Cannabis Extract. So this is about CBD, um, which is like a, um, a an extract of Cannabinoid. cannabis. Cannabinoid? Yeah. And yeah. it can give relief for... Um, people with anxiety um without having the h p h thc the yeah. um, high part of it so yeah so like of 113 existing identified cannabinoids the two we're most familiar with are thc which causes the feeling of highness that most people associate with marijuana and cbd which is better known for its medicinal properties yeah so um it's very small um, uh, studies have been done, but it's calling for like more action. So um, according to one estimate, the CBD industry has doubled in size over the last two years and now worth $200 million. Um, but its popularity, the hype may have gotten ahead of the science. So yeah, in 20, 20- well, that's almost a certainty because there, yeah. the science is so limited by the questionable legality of the substance. Yeah. So um, researchers are trying to nail down the effects of it. Um, but it's... Um, they have tested it on animals, and for a very small, short-term human studies, I've suggested that CBD exhibits anti-inflammatory and anti-anxiety properties. Yeah, and really, I mean, CBD, if you were to talk to a dispensary, is is supposedly good for everything, right? I mean, people take it for pain, people take it for seizures, people take it for cancer treatment. Obviously, we're not endorsing any of these uses if you're listening. Like, you know, you, you do your own research. But, um, yeah, it's really good. It's really good to see some actual research being done because we're so far behind and there are so many people interested in using this well this this article is mentioning a study with 50 participants which that doesn't like super duper amaze me but they mentioned in like a phase two clinical trial exploring whether cbd could prevent relapse in opioid abusers that that sounds a little more promising yeah what is, is a phase two clinical trial? I'm not up on my phases. 
Is that being tested in humans? I think so, but I'm not sure. Can you look it up? Yeah, so, okay. Unlike phase one trials, which may require healthy volunteers, phase two research is targeted to patients afflicted with the condition the drug intends to treat. Oh, that makes sense. It's phase three. Well, Laura, (laughs) hang on. Let me click through to this link. Uh, phase three clinical trials act as more intensive extensions of the first <laughs> phases of research, AKA we do more stuff testing the safety, efficacy and dosage of the drugs compared to the current gold standard treatment or placebo. And then, uh, there's one more phase, but my internet's really slow. Um, Phase four is testing the drugs on specific demographics. So like pregnant women or people who are currently taking another medication to test for like cross reactions, typically conducted over an extensive, extensive period and on a massive population. Um, so, okay. Yeah. We haven't talked a lot about clinical trials in the podcast yet, but, um, the news item I'm most familiar with with clinical trials is the many, many attempts by um, advocates for people with cancer and other long-term or serious illnesses to relax the standards required to allow people to participate in clinical trials. Because like in Europe, it's much more readily available. And in the US, there are people who want to try certain drugs and they're like, I don't care if there's a chance of dying, I'm dying anyway let me try this drug. So that's like relaxing those regulations has mm-hmm. been in the news a lot. That makes sense. So, yeah, but back to pot, everyone's favorite topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it, it may, they're trying to be able to, they're trying to prove the things that the public say about it, you know? Yeah. They're trying to prove yeah. the wife's tale to be true. I think that in the end, they'll prove some, but not all. You know, I don't know if if it's going to end up being like the panacea that people want it to be. I've also wondered, and I almost hate to say this because it's, it's like feeding into some speculation that I dislike, but I've wondered about potential changes to the brain from, from marijuana, like if consistent use over a long period of time. I mean, it's no doubt been a miracle for seemingly a number of people. But, you know, I just, I just wonder, like, about, as you would with any medication, if there's, if it's, if it truly has no long-term effects, you know, I wonder about that. Yeah. So, and then the other thing, uh, with it is that, um, the, because it's unregulated, the amount of dosage can vary from brand to brand and also in some cases from bottle to bottle. So Mm. something else to keep in mind. Yeah, and this whole, like, lack of regulation thing, I mean, even from, like, dispensary to dispensary, like, there's no way to know mm-hmm. what you're getting, and I don't know. If if someone were to, like, legalize it, then there could be federal regulation, and that could make it safer. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Lame. Okay. And this story is from the NPR Shots blog, which I think is a really excellent resource for health news. If anyone is like, if anyone's listening to the podcast every Saturday and then just desperate for more information, 
Um, and also just a reminder, if you're listening, that we do put links to all of the stories in the show notes. So if you want to read along with us or you want to check out the story later, those links are, are there for you. So we don't put them there for our health. Okay. Put them there for you. <laughs> so what's your current medical fascination, Robin? Um, dude, listen, I don't think I have one other than that my optometrist is holding me hostage for a contact lens prescription and making me try all these different lenses before they'll give me any, which I thought was a problem until I realized that every time they don't give me the prescription, they have to give me like a week's worth sample whatever to try. And if this goes on long enough, I'll never have to pay for contacts. So (laughs) I've been considering my eye health and, you know... I didn't realize that there had been some, that there were so many different types of contact lenses or just the, the situation where um, a, a glasses prescription is not absolute. Like I thought no matter what like optometrist you went to, it's going to be the same. But I ended up having a prescription where they had like added a little adjustment for astigmatism and I tried the glasses you know wearing them in the evenings or whatever when my contacts weren't working for like a year and never really adjusted and they said oh that's okay we can take that out and I thought but I thought I thought my my prescription was like a scientific measurement that could not be you know it's like I didn't realize we could just subjectively be like okay we'll do this you know it's not like baking a cake right but apparently apparently it is that's funny. There's some wiggle room. Well, it would be less funny, except for I'm trying to get back into all my swimming, biking, running, and now I have to own, like, prescription goggles. And so the prescription goggles have not arrived. The contacts have not arrived. So it's just me running around town with my glasses on, being blind in the pool, and, you know, other such madness until such time as they see fit to finally give me a prescription, please. So that's the story, Laura. That's the story. I like it. Are we having chocolate now? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna eat a big bowl of milk chocolate, right? That that's what it wants. <laughs> I saw a thing on Facebook that I guess was fake, but it was like a Burger King commercial for a chocolate whopper where like the bun was wasn't chocolate but everything else was chocolate like layers of different types everything was made out of chocolate and you would think that was super gross but the way that they filmed it made it almost look attractive and they got you it's yeah i'm really hungry i'm not gonna lie (laughs) i was hungry anyway this podcast has made me more hungry the odds of a trader joe's run tonight are in the high 90s (laughs) percentage wise All right, Laura, do you think we covered everything this week? I think so. It's enough bad patient for me. (laughs) Great. So if you want to follow along with us, you can visit our website at thebadpatient.com. We're also at thebadpatient on, oh my gosh, Laura, I always forget, forget Twitter. People just go to the website, thebadpatient.com. You can email us at hello at thebadpatient.com. And we want to give a special thank you to our composer, Evan Schaefer, for our theme song. Thanks, Evan. You can listen to Evan's music at soundcloud.com slash Evan Schaefer. Until next time, we are bad patients. Malpractice makes perfect.